Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. In tandem with Mac OS X in the early 2000s, Macintosh laptops began getting a lot of attention. We were the envy of the industry, and things were good. Except for the whining chorus of, Why won't Apple make a docking station? Stephen Levy examines why Apple thinks USB-C is a pretty good solution. It's an idea so powerful, it can transform your business. It's an idea so personal, it can transform your life. It's an idea so intelligent, it can transform itself. Introducing PowerBook Duo from Apple. It can talk to computers. It can talk to fax machines. It can talk. It fits in your briefcase. It fits in your business. It fits in your life. But the remarkable thing isn't just what it can do. It's what it can become. Introducing PowerBook Duo from Apple. Macworld Magazine, December 1993. The Iconoclast by Stephen Levy. Duo Trouble. Is it too late for Apple's lightweights? Approximately one year after the October 1992 introduction of Apple's Duo Notebooks, I ventured to a New York hotel suite for an advanced look at the new models. It had not been a great year for the duos. Apple had presented these as the certs of computerdom, two computers in one. In theory, a duo provided half of the ultimate solution to the conundrum facing self-styled road warriors who yearn for portability on the road and workstation power in the office. When the ultra-compact notebook met its other half, the docking station, the union of duo and mothership would result in a fire-breathing modular-style Macintosh. That was the theory. In practice, duos weren't selling as well as Apple had hoped. The Duo line's product manager, Peter Fletcher, was claiming a somewhat limited satisfaction at their performance. After a slow start-off, things are much better, were his actual words. But elsewhere in this issue, Carrie Lou's feature, New PowerBook Duos, reports an estimate that only about 100,000 have been sold through June. Considering that Apple has hopes for Duo sales to run neck and neck with traditional PowerBooks, which sell in the millions, that figure is abysmal. Will the new models turn things around? I'm guessing not. The problem is not so much the Duos, but the docking a concept whose time never really arrived. Birth of the Duos Trouble came as soon as Apple unveiled the first two Duos. Their primary virtue was subtraction. By shedding certain parts, such as floppy drives and connection ports, Duos weighed in at a mere 4.2 pounds instead of the PowerBook's 7. This was good, very good. What's more, these newcomers were heavy-duty computational beasts. They may have been light, but they were certainly not light, spelled L-I-T-E here. On the more powerful model, the Duo 230, 
the microprocessor runs at a blistering 33 MHz. The 210 clocks in at 25. Then there were the docks, which, by virtue of a simple connection, would make a duo into a regulation Macintosh. The smaller ones, let's call them baby docks, fit onto the back of the laptop. The bigger ones, duo docks by Apple's description, Papa docks by mine, actually swallow up the whole thing like some desktop leviathan. Once docked, your little laptop suddenly transforms itself into the heart of a full-blown Macintosh cockpit that could support color monitors, printers, floppy disk drives, full-size mice, and even new bus cards. Apple's expectation was that people would snap them up. Duos on the road, docks at home or in the office. The pundits of Technoland lined up to blow the alarm. Few Apple products have garnered such rave reviews as did the Duo's last fall. The Duo's nifty dimensions had gotten the company off on the right foot. But that foot promptly stepped on a banana peel. While the Duo's were impressive, the docks were missing in action. An especially embarrassing situation since Apple had made a big deal about how Unlike some docking schemes attempted in the DOS world, the duos were going to prove that the two-in-one concept could work. It's a touchy business selling a new paradigm like docking. Even if everything goes right, you have a big job ahead of you. But when things go wrong, problems multiply logarithmically. So, imagine the problem when Apple began selling duos but was not able to immediately offer the other half of the equation the docks. It was like salt without pepper, the captain without tenille. Further compounding the problem was the fact that the Apple Express modem, for one year the only internal modem that fit into the non-standard viscera of the duo, was also a no-show. And when it did arrive, it was plagued by demonic glitches. Even now, the folks at Apple have no good explanation for this bungle. There was no one thing that slowed us up, says Fletcher. We failed to make some pieces available that were important to the concept. As a result, the first Duo customers were not Docker types, but those who simply loved the idea of a four-pound PowerBook even if it had no floppy disk drive. They already had Macs. To get files into and out of the machine, Duo owners used their laptops as remote SCSI hard disk drives to desktop machines or they used a different adapter to hook up the optional external floppy drive. In the confusing demolition derby of Apple's product introductions, price cuts, and discontinuations, the whole docking concept got lost. Only recently have the components become available, not only Apple's baby and papa docks, but a host of third-party products described by Lou in his article. Yet, I suspect it is too late. Apple may have pulled off the concept with more panache than Compaq and other hopefuls, but there is something essentially flawed about the idea itself. The public indifference to duos thus far suggests that the whole idea is headed into the dustbin of technology. Small is almost everything. I do want to emphasize that in some ways, the duos are very cool machines. I'm impressed with the way Apple has managed to squeeze near-quadra power into such a little container. 
after lugging a standard power book for a couple of years, I certainly appreciate the fact that a duo fits snugly in a briefcase and doesn't stretch your pecs. But that's the end of the positives. In case you blinked, let me repeat. A duo is smaller than a power book and lighter than a power book, but in every other respect, a standard power book, anything from a 160 on up, is far superior. Because Apple figured that people would supplement duos with docks, they left off all sorts of goodies. The biggest hole, of course, is the missing built-in floppy drive. Maybe it's me. I do know people who love duos, but I am constantly ill at ease when using a computer without an easy way to get information in and out. Carrying around a separate external floppy disk drive and adapter certainly is not a solution. If you're going to lug all that junk around, why not just use a standard PowerBook? And constantly venturing over to my desktop Mac, or to my Papa Doc, if I had one, seems a perpetual annoyance. Even though Apple's various solutions for getting software in and out of the duos seem to work, they are all a pain in the neck. Just because it's easy to hook up a cable or two doesn't mean that the process isn't annoying. What makes it worse are various mandatory shutdown features when docking. They're there for a good reason, to keep everything in the fidgety SCSI chain working properly, but who wants to restart just to load a program? On the road, the situation can get dire. What if an application becomes corrupted and you need to reinstall it? What if someone slips you a disc with his or her new book on it, or one of those Voyager electronic books, and you want to read it? What if you call up a new application and you get a message reading, Insert Master Disk for Verification? If one of these events crops up on an airplane, you have no choice but to slam down the lid of the duo and watch the movie. Then there are the less onerous compromises. The slightly smaller screen one can get used to, but the duo keyboard is, to my dancing fingers at least, just a tad too tiny for adequate touch typing. At least it comes close, though. On the other hand, the shrunken duo trackball, no bigger than a malted milk ball, is inadequate for the task. Every cursor move is an adventure. The docking option was supposed to redress the compromises, of course, but the economics don't make sense. Those docks are expensive. Even a baby dock, which basically bequeaths the duo with the ports and connectors of a PowerBook 160, lists for 580 US dollars. And prying one of those things off a duo is like solving one of those wooden Japanese puzzles. And if you use a baby dock, you're still stuck with the smaller keyboard and the thumb-twiddling trackball. Of course, if you use a papa dock, your duo can be attached to a full-size keyboard and a regulation mouse. But that monster starts at 1,080 US dollars, not much less than the street price of a low-end Centris. Dry docked. I suspect that even Apple is beginning to realize the futility of pushing the dock concept. When I attended the roadshow of the new duos, the 250 and the 270C, they were sitting on a tabletop without a docking unit in sight. In fact, the key improvement in the machines themselves, the Active Matrix screen technology, which I admit is quite beautiful, is in a sense antithetical to the docking ethos. 
If people want to split the machine function between travel and docking, wouldn't they want to perform their serious display work on a large screen monitor? The answer is that people aren't docking and don't care about docking. That is why Apple believes that customers will pay for expensive and gorgeous active matrix screens because Duo 250s and 270s are very rarely going to find themselves swallowed up by Papa Docs, and that makes other screens irrelevant. Further evidence that Apple is fudging on the docking concept comes from its intention to sell the Duo 230 in a low-cost bundle, around $1,500 with a floppy disk drive. Which brings me to the obvious conclusion. Instead of coming up with elaborate schemes to mitigate the incomplete nature of the Duo, Apple should devise a new generation of PowerBooks that gives us all the features we need in a smaller, lighter package. When Apple figures out how to get the PowerBook down to fighting weight, the Duo will go the way of the dinosaur. I bet we won't hear many requiems for that trackball. See you later, Doc. Stephen Levy's new book, Insanely Great, The Life and Times of Macintosh, The Computer That Changed Everything, will be published by Viking in January. And of course, Apple did manage to shrink the PowerBook, starting with the stunning one-inch-thick titanium PowerBook G4 in 2001. We have the most powerful notebooks in the world, but they have the sex, right? We want both. Sitting down? One inch thick. One inch thick. 5.3 pounds. It's made out of titanium, like the spy planes. How do we compare not just to other notebooks, but to sub-notebooks like the Sony Vio? Sub-notebooks that are not designed to have built-in drives or big screens or run for five hours. They make those compromises to be thin and sexy. Well, let's take a look. Most popular Vio. Well, my God, there must be an error on the slide. No, there is not. The new PowerBook G4 is thinner than the Vio sub-notebook. Unbelievable. And, of course, they're made out of last year's material. <laughs> you and about a billion other people. Which was so gorgeous I had to buy one, so I did, right before they fell off the trailing edge in 2003. And then the gorgeous 12-inch PowerBook G4. A new 12-inch PowerBook. Only 1.2 inches thick, smaller than the iBook in every dimension, weighs 4.6 pounds. It is the smallest power book ever, even smaller than the Duos, if you remember those. And things got even smaller in 2008 with the MacBook Air. Today, we're introducing a third kind of notebook. It's called the MacBook Air. What is the MacBook Air? In a sentence, it's the world's thinnest notebook. This is the MacBook Air.
0.76 inches down to an unprecedented 0.16 inches. Now, I want to point something out here. The thickest part of the MacBook Air is still thinner than the thinnest part of the TZ series. Okay? It's so thin, it even fits inside one of these envelopes that we've all seen floating around the office. In the beginning, the Air was lumbered with the world's weakest screen hinge, a dearth of ports, a slow CPU, and a hard disk encrusted in molasses. I swore I would never buy one, but the Air overcame those obstacles after a few years and has sold like crazy. And even I bought one last year just to check out this M1 thing. And it is so stark that it can change your way to work. And it is so personal that it can change your way to live. And it is so intelligent that it can change yourself. Macintosh Powerbook Duo from Apple.